You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gartner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about statistical unicorns, an interview with Ina Brumley. And really take care of that. That's a really, really interesting one. And not just if you're a little girl, unicorns are interesting. This one will be really, really great. So stay tuned and now some music. Gary Sullivan introduced me to Ina and he recommended her. And when I heard about that, I thought, hmm, that needs to be a really, really interesting uh, statistician. And I learned so much from her and I think she was actually quite ahead of her time when she founded her CRO. And you'll learn about that in this podcast episode as well as lots of lots of other things that can help you to improve your career as well and to make choices that help you become more effective and have more impact. So stay tuned for this awesome discussion with Ina. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. By now, there should be also lots of content from the this year's conference, so from the 2021 conference, which was an amazing event. Head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode. Today I'm talking with Ina. Hi, Ina, how are you doing? Hi, Alexander, doing well. How are you doing? Very, very good. We had a little bit of a pre-chat uh, recently with, with Gary, but maybe for the listeners who don't know you, can you start with a short introduction of yourself? I would be happy to. So, I started my career actually in, in animal statistics, animal breeding, genetics, and uh, came to the States and studied um, more restricted maximum likelihood models. And, and that's what I did my pre-doc on. But then went to the, the NIH to do a postdoc. And uh, statistical genetics and genetic epidemiology was what I focused on. And while I was at the NIH doing my fellowship, I realized that there's this communication gap between the statistician and the clinical investigator. And that we speak one language as statisticians and there's these unique needs on whether it's enrollment, whether it's specific endpoints or whatever it might be that a clinical investigator is struggling with. And sometimes we, we talk past each other. So that led to the idea that it could be a good, good thing to start a company with that model to foster the communication between the statisticians and the clinical investigators. So we started a company 20 years ago, 2001, my husband and I um, called Biostat Solutions and focused 
specifically on, on trying to listen to what the clinical investigator has to say and then utilizing the statistical models around that to best answer, to use it almost like a surgeon tool in the toolbox to see what mm -hmm. is that best statistical tool that we can, we can employ for a specific clinical study or how can we advise towards an optimum study. So that's the story in short, really bridging that gap, that communication gap. Yeah, and then you grew that company over many years and recently sold it. So um, congratulations on this uh, nice exit strategy after such a long time. <laughs> Yeah. I guess it wasn't easy to kind of let go of it. No, I, I think the good thing is it was let go into a wonderful team. Um, Farmerlix, actually a German company, uh, bought us. And it was so nice to see them continue that vision. But really, you know, to get a team together that that have that aptitude to to communicate, to utilize different scenarios where you know some client may be in devices or biologics or drug development and um, then we also had this biomarker um, add-on that we really specialized on but um, it's it's a wonderful team and, and really to see how when you focus on on communication when you focus on what is best for a specific study or, or to, to work on a specific study design. It was good to see, and, and it's good to see folks excel still within that field. So when you talk about the communication aspect, where did you see the biggest gaps at that time in terms of where did you see the biggest problems? Do you have any kind of for example, specific stories that comes to your mind? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the biggest gap for us is, as statisticians, we, we get so excited about a specific model, about a specific algorithm, a specific tool that we use, that we sometimes forget that there's an end user that may not be as familiar with the statistical methodology. And to visualize the findings, to communicate that findings, has been really something where you need to know your audience. Um, if, if you deal with a small biotech company or a large pharma company, maybe slightly different message. Or if you're a phase one study or preclin versus a phase three study would be a different message too. And uh, found that it really, if you can visualize something, a picture says of, uh, tells of a thousand words and people catch on to, and sometimes you may have a few versions of, of visualization to see what works best to explain a specific hypothesis or objective and uh, really found that that's a fantastic tool, especially now that we have our shiny, we have a lot of visualization tools to our disposal that once we use those tools and, and give that to a VP at a company, that that works very well. Um, we, we also worked with executive summaries on that quick, the way we see an executive summary is something you give in the hand of an executive that's running from one meeting to another that can get that so what message across. And um, sometimes it's just a statement, right? But, but sometimes it's that, hey, this is your response. This is a specific group that responds well. And this is how we visualized it. And uh, you see that light bulb go on and that really helps a lot. The executive summary doesn't necessarily mean it's just sentences and, and 
some words, it, it could be, you know, maybe two statements and a nice visualization. Exactly, exactly. And we evolved in, you know, we started way back when and that executive summary looked like an abstract. And uh, the boredom mm -hmm. factor came in and we lost our audience. So we had to really change that to, to whether it's a sentence or two, whether it's a figure, whether it is, you know, hey, watch out for the specific subgroup or covariate or what you need to look at. But simpler is better. And, and then you can always have a statistical report underneath it that has that statistical rigor, that has all that details in for the statisticians you're communicating it to. But um, it's so essential to know who your audience is and, and to be respectful. You, you know, maybe somebody that has a, a vast amount of clinical knowledge, but maybe not as much analytical knowledge. Or sometimes it may be somebody that is very well versed. So, so knowing your client, knowing, and, and with client, I mean, it could be a colleague could be your client, right? It, but it could also be yeah. a true client. But to, to know and, and to read the individual, to, to, to know when there's question marks on their face and to respect those questions and then come around utilizing the, the, the tools we have. Yeah. I think it's also respectful to respect their time. Yeah. Absolutely. And to, to invest in making it short, short and sharp. Yeah. So that, you know, maybe the three key points of this 300-page statistics report really fits on a half a page. And that's an art. It's, it's so true. But you cannot say everything in a short summary. And I think it helps you, too. When, when you have a summary or you have a key message that you need to, to get across. It helps you to not get that tunnel vision down one specific alley, but to say, hey, you, you know, why am I doing it? Is this the right way of doing it? What should my next steps be? What is important to the person I'm communicating these findings to? And to know your data, the, the data tells the story. I, I remember my, my advisor for my dissertation would frequently send me to a coffee shop and say, let the data speak to you. Go and, and know your data, understand some of these nuances that's going on in your data, because that sometimes is the key point that you need to communicate across. But I think we're so rushed many a times that we just dig in and do the analysis instead of saying, well, I have unique distributional properties or I have unique phenotypes or endpoints or something is measured, my missingness is an issue that that we, that spending that half an hour to kind of get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly of your data is so key in what you yeah. want to communicate. Yeah, and here data both in terms of the raw data but also the results. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of if you have look into lots of lots of different subgroups and and lots of different endpoints and you know things over time and you need to look into correlations and all kind of different things, not just kind of deliver the analysis, but say what they mean with it. Yeah. Don't just kind of throw the tables over the fence. Here, here are the results. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I need to be honest, very early in my career, I also sometimes did this because I didn't know better. Yeah. And then there was a, my step supervisor told me, no, he expects the statisticians to 
have a look into the results and interpret them and then, you know, work together with others like medical writers and, and things like that. Absolutely. We're in such a unique position as statisticians, right? When you have lived and breathed that data set for a while and, and you've seen some of the nuances in your analysis, it's almost an obligation that we have is to report something unique that we see, to see that serendipity sometimes of, of hey, this is something, it's a unique pattern or this is a unique finding. And uh, it's also what is not there. Sometimes it's, it's, it's what you have in the data and what's the true results that jump out at you. But it's sometimes also when you work on conclusions or when you work on what's next steps, it's maybe, you know, I didn't see this in this data set or, or we didn't look within this effect modifier or covariant and it may be useful to do so. So it's, it's more difficult to look at what's not there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's when it's interest, it becomes really interesting if you have certain expectations and these are not met yeah. in your data set. And you need to understand why is that the case? Is there a mistake? Yeah, so I once saw a data set about, uh, I think it was um, ADHD, and 80% of the patients were female, whereas usually it's the other way around. And I said, that's weird. Of course, it was a coding mistake. But if you then see, ah, oh, here in the study, we don't see this kind of correlation that we see as well. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Do we have a specific population and things like that? And kind of anticipate the questions that your audience will have. Yeah, and I think us as statisticians are eternally curious. And if we lose that curiosity about our data, then you don't go into that unique pattern, right? And, and yeah. But yet when you sometimes go into something like you say with the females, is that a mistake? Or is that, you know, maybe enrollment bias or, you know, what, what happened? Or is this a unique study population? And, and what, what is the story? We're really story writers. And behind that is the truth. It's the data that we have. And I think that's the beauty of being a statistician and the fun being a statistician, really. Yeah. I love that you uh, talked about visualization in the context of communication. Yeah, when I ask you about communication, one of the, your key points you directly jumped to was visualization. I sometimes, you know, speak with statisticians that said, yeah, but this data visualization that takes so long and is it really my job? Um, what, do you, what do you tell these statisticians? You know, this, again, the flip side of the story, if you have this amazing finding, and you cannot communicate that finding to the end user. You've lost it. You, you've, you've really, the, the value of, of all your efforts are lost. So I think it's almost the priority that we need to focus on our visualization. And so much of our coding for visualization, you can reuse that if you have something somewhere that you're redoing. But it should almost be that you put time aside, say time aside, to do the visualization in order to get your message across. Because if it's just a data dump, what's the worth? Versus spending maybe 15, 20% of your time and you do good visualizations with good figures that, that tells you exactly what you've done. And then somebody can use that 
or somebody can come back to you and say, hey, really interesting. So let's go that path and let's look at something. Uh, I, I almost think it's, 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 it's sad that, that sometimes we don't do that visualization. And sometimes, you know, there's pressures, there's time, and, and we need to push back a little bit when, when we're in a situation where that is not required. And we know that that visualization can really get the message across uh, instead of, you know, five pages where you're going to lose your audience on, on paragraph two, that one picture yeah. might actually tell the story. Yeah. And I think in terms of programming, if you have set up your systems quite nicely, you can become really, really fast. At the PSI conference, the keynote was uh, from two um graphic designers and data visualization experts that are working at the Financial Times. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them reported that he once only had a couple of minutes to do um, visualization for the, you know, for the front page, for the cover page. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, he produced it in seven minutes. Okay, that's maybe a kind of very, very fast thing. Yeah, but... In our world, usually we have a day or something like this to, to get it right. Absolutely. And I've, I've seen some of our statisticians that were absolute whizzes in, in visualizing. And, and they would actually sometimes come and push back. It's like, hey, now this you know, plot may be better than another one um, in conjunction with the data and a message. Because on the one side, you have the data. On the other side, you have your message, right? And that bridge is your visualization. And, and exactly. knowing those right tools, I, I more inexperienced statisticians, I frequently refer to the National Geographic. I think they were earlier on, if you take up a National Geographic magazine and see their visualization, so amazing. And, and even now with COVID, there were some really beautiful visualizations that I have seen people publish on or whether it was in the media. And uh, we keep learning. It's, it's, it's an artist painting a picture. And that, that's what our visualization is. It's our masterpiece. Yeah, but it's an art that we can, can learn for sure. Yeah. In our pre-discussion, you mentioned you were always on the lookout for unicorns, <laughs> statistical unicorns. What's that? <laughs> I think it's something that's going to keep following me. It's, oh, you, when you go through the interview process to try and find a new member of a team, I, I frequently would go and have those questions. How do you take, how would you approach a data set? How would you analyze it? How would you look at the data? Test some of the theoretical knowledge. But there was very few times where a candidate would show up that would not just focus on here's the results, right? That would take, I'm interested in, in, in the clinical aspects, I'm interested in the biology, the physiology, I'm interested in, in, in visualization. We talked a lot about the visualization. That to me is that unicorn. It, it's, it's somebody that kind of gets that so what question. And usually that excitement, somebody that's excited about what they do, that has that enthusiasm. Um, and truly trying, you know, ultimately, we're serving 
for us, it, the patient population. It's making the world a better place by serving the patient population. And if there's an individual that, that gets excited about that, to, to really think about the data as, as an, a privilege to look at, that was to me the unicorn and, and, and absolutely somebody that can take the theory and communicate that theory so that somebody else can use it. Uh, that's hard, right? Sometimes we all get stuck into it that um, there's a bit better methodology, there's a better theory, um, something more complex, especially now that we have complex data, say of longitudinal data, mobile devices and so forth. Um, but then how do you boil that down into a message? Again, that, that's that unicorn that, that you're looking for. And I'm seeing more and more of it. I'm, I'm optimistic that that's something that we as statisticians are, are starting to, to pay more attention to. If you look into these unicorns in your, in your company and your career, um, what are they specifically doing to get to that level? Mm. Some of it, I think it's the individual. It's the individual being curious by nature and, and, and being committed to what they are doing. But I think there's training involved. I, I think there's good mentorship involved where um, through our experience, we communicate maybe somebody that's fresh out of grad school on, on what tools are available, right? Um, we can't be trained in everything. And there's really so many different subspecialties within statistics that um, you go and constantly expose people, for instance, to the client to, to understand that communication or sit in on meetings. They, they may not necessarily be participating in meetings way in the beginning, but that they understand the bigger picture, that it's not that here's a data set, analyze the data set, you know, throw these tables at me or these, these, these results at me, um, but think of it a little, little bit and to create that time for the individuals to think of the to think about the data, um, to have those interim meetings that, where we discuss or brainstorm around along the meetings. It's almost like grand rounds, right? That you that you go and you say, "This here's this patient, here's this data set, here's this result. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we found, what we haven't found." Um, what's interesting, where do we take it? Where do we run with specific directions? And how do we communicate that? Communication always has to be, has to be in, in, in the game. And it comes over time. And, and different individuals, we don't respect the individuality of different people. But I also think if you bring that team, even of statisticians together or data analysts together, and they bring this different talent bases, you get great ideas. And we learn from each other and we grow from each other on how to ultimately get, get a good product out. So I think it's having this willingness to constantly improve, to constantly learn, challenge yourself and learn from each other. And it's also kind of trying to always serve your audience better, better. So, kind of not just be kind of satisfied with the status quo that, you know, I've, I've provided the table job done, <laughs> <laughs> but really kind of 
making sure that the message is understood. So very true, Alexander. I don't think our discipline has room for egos because there's so much to be learned. This, in, in, in a way, that's the fun too, right? We, we are the statisticians are sometimes the conductor of the orchestra. We, we have regulatory, we have PK, we have clinical groups, all these groups around us. But, but it goes all about the data and what does the data tell us? And um, when, when we keep growing, keep learning, but also keep grow, taking those new ideas and producing products from those new ideas, that's, that's really fun stuff. It's, it's, it's where you do serve somebody better. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting perspective to look at it, that you're basically the conductor and you're not kind of somewhere in the back, yeah. <laughs> maybe hitting the triangle once. In the- <laughs> exactly. And, and I think traditionally that was kind of, the, the statistician was put in a corner, right? We got offices without the windows. But more and more so, think about it, when there's a phase three study that has a data log, who's the first one to know whether that study is successful? It's the statistician. It's the one looking at the data before anybody else really knows it. Um, so we play an important role, a, a very crucial role in, in, in studies. I think I, I completely see it the same way. If you look into all the other areas, yeah, let it be regulatory, medical writing, uh, clinical development, uh, the physicians, medical affairs, uh, payers, market market access, um, marketing, sales, medical education, so many different functions, all kind of depend on data. And yet they don't necessarily speak to each other, whereas everybody really needs to understand the data and that's where we come into place. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the, again, that conductor role, right? That, that we're playing. Um, yeah. We're connecting those dots. And it's, it's, a, it's a big responsibility, if you really think about it, on, on then knowing your data. You, you cannot just crunch data and, and, like you say, you shoot out a table or a figure or a listing or whatever it might be. Um, I think we do have this responsibility. And I think that's where it's, so in a way fun when, when you have those teams come together and you may sometimes mention something to a clinical investigator and you see that light bulb go on and somebody jumping up and down of excitement because of something that you just mentioned in passing and you're like oh okay I'm going to dig into that analysis a little bit deeper and, and you know we may we may get something to be successful but if there's no market uptake then where are we yeah. really? And, and I think that's a statisticians frequently what we miss that uh, unfortunately, you know, there is a business aspect to it and we need to understand the big picture as well as digging into the minute details. So sometimes you have to kind of jump out a little bit and get back into your data. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting point also kind of as a conductor, you need to make sure that everybody place the same and you know and if you know there's one part of the orchestra that plays a song 
great efficacy, no safety risk. <laughs> and the other one says, safety risks, don't care about efficacy. <laughs> then, well, that will not lead to a nice kind of uh, song overall. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, there's also that sometimes we, we play, let's focus on efficacy. Sometimes it's like, let's focus on toxicity. How do we bring those pieces together to play? And sometimes you need to stop for that moment and maybe rewrite the music on saying, hey, we focused in this one area, but we are seeing something that's concerned maybe with, with, with safety. And then, do we have the numbers? What can we say? What makes sense and what doesn't make sense, right? What is observational, but what is really there and something that's worth, worth conducting? So I, I, maybe, maybe we're conducting while we write the music. I, I guess that is probably the case. And the music <laughs> is changing all the time. And it also depends on the audience you play it to. Yeah. So do you play it to um, a certain regulator or do you play it to um, uh, maybe a payer or do you, do you play it to, um, you know, GP? Yeah. Every audience has a different favorite song. And so it's the same here in, in this case. Yeah, it's so true. And you mentioned regulatory. And I think that's where sometimes we also get stuck is because regulatory is such a rigid environment that we need to address specific aspects and topics. And, and we sometimes feel like you do not have a lot of play in that. But I beg to differ. I, I, I think we do even in a regulatory environment, that we still have some of those things that we need to, to, to communicate. And sometimes we're like, no, this, this, this is it. But um, there are different, if, if you're early dis discovery, uh, you do have a little bit more player, right? You, you're going to be yep. looking yep. under different stones to look at different things um, than what you will have when, when you finish a regulatory study. But knowing that audience and, and, and knowing who's looking for what is, is so important. Yeah. Speaking about that, I, a couple of months ago, had a discussion with a VP of regulatory, and she told me, we absolutely need to have many more data visualizations in our reports. Yeah, it's, it's, we need to better tell the stories because regulators also kind of want to understand fast say so, you know they don't have always a time to look into all the different details and if they can you know have a couple of different reports they need to look into and one looks like oh that looks interesting with a couple of nice figures the other one is hundreds of tables well guess who's it what they choose yeah so um yeah, yeah. And, and if you think of the folks that work within the regulatory environment they work with multiple studies that comes across their desk. And, and if you cannot communicate the regulatory, that's a challenge. And I unfortunately see where we fall short a lot is with interim analysis. Um, I'm on data safety monitoring committees and you just get this, this stack of TFLs that you have to work through. And you know on the other side, there's a statistician that, that could have maybe visualized the data a little bit better or summarized the data a little bit better instead of just dumping a lot of TFLs. Uh, so much is lost there, I think, that, that when we don't do it. And, um, you know, what is it? What is a data safety monitoring committee? It's, it's looking at safety for, for, for the patient populations, really, and just diving through endless listings. 
I, you can miss even sometimes samples. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if you are as a statistician, set yourself a goal that you need to understand the data of the database log really, really quickly, mm. kind of in, let's say, half an hour, you need to get a very, very good overview of all the data. You probably can't go without a good data visualization. Yeah, because... Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally agree. And sometimes, it may, maybe I'm just old school, and, and I hope not, but so, sometimes I see what's frequently even missed is, what's the distribution of your primary endpoint? That, that That's sometimes even missed, right? And if you have a little distribution plot that you put through and kind of see what, what your data looks like, um, that's something very basic even that, 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 that I see missed. And to do a few descriptive statistics in the beginning, when you get your data, you know, it doesn't take long to do those descriptive statistics. And yet that can help you so much understand what is your next steps in analysis or communicate maybe some of the challenges that you have with the data. Yeah, or include the individual patient data in your data visualization. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's so, so many really nice ways you can embed that in your data visualization so that you not just get, you know, the means and the standard deviation and the p-value, but you get you really kind of um, the individual data plots and, you know, if they're ordered, sorted, colored in a, in a good way, then um, it can directly tell you whether maybe something weird was going on. Yeah, or something really exciting. And, and, and the, I think that... The, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> Um, but, and the beauty is, is right now you can do that real life. You can look into something that you've going back to shiny that you've programmed in that, and you can yeah. real life show that hey, if we control for this, if we take this subgroup out, or we put this group in, or if we look at a specific time point, you can really start seeing some of these unique signals that you would really miss otherwise, and. Um, Again, folks who are not the statisticians, man, I, without exception, see folks get excited about that when they see that visualization. And it's just a wonderful tool we have that we can use. Yep, yep, completely agree. In terms of presentations, there was an interesting story that you told about uh, you giving a presentation, a very, very important one on, on short notice. I think that's also something that the listener for sure wants to learn about. <laughs> what what were the circumstances there? Yeah, it's one of those those stories that you run into, right? That you didn't anticipate. So, um, and, and, I, and I think behind the story is, is really sometimes how important we are as statisticians. So, for folks who, who go and represent clients with regulatory agencies. You know that sometimes you're the statistician sitting there in a corner and you're ready to add, to answer something. But we were working with a client and it, it, it was on, on a device and it was an international client uh, that, that flew in from, from Europe. And as some of you guys know too, as you practice and practice and anticipate so many things as you get ready for, for that meeting. So um, it was an orthopedic device so we had an orthopedic surgeon as a KOL, and um, we were going through really being very well prepared. 
Um, but then we had to travel from the hotel where we, where we did all the preparation to, to the FDA. And um, the CEO of the company who would have done the, most of the presentation, uh, his Uber got lost. So I got this text and, and frantic call following it that they're not going to make it. They, they're not going to make it to give this presentation. And then, please, if I could give the presentation. So all of a sudden, I changed from being the statistician in the back of the room to, oh, my goodness, so much is on my shoulders. And uh, I looked at orthopedic surgeons like, anything clinical, help me out on it. And because we prepared so much, we could, we could literally look at each other. And, and it was one of those tense meetings. We didn't know where it was going to go. There was a few issues and I presented and every now and then I looked at him and he helped out with the clinical. And as I finished the presentation, the CEO walked into the room and it was such an adrenaline Thing that you know, I would never have expected to happen, but it happened, and it was real life, and we had to think very fast on our feet and 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 move it forward. And uh, at the end of the day, we had some laughs about it. It went well for the client, but um, certainly while it was happening, there, there, there was some stress proteins being released. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can completely envision that. Um, it's already stressful if you are kind of mentally prepared to do it, but I think it's a completely different game if you jump kind of out of nowhere into it. <laughs> but in one point, you mentioned, of course, you did a lot of preparation. Yeah. yeah? So I think that is also talks to the point in terms of great communication always needs a lot of preparation. It leads a lot of practicing and that kind of expertise grows over time, grows over your career. So you have actually been training for it for many, many years so and uh, from your capability point of view. Yeah. No, and, and, and also I think one thing that came to play, a lesson that I really kind of afterwards, after you digest, you know, something like that happening is the fact that as the team that was there, we knew each other. We knew each other's expertise and strengths and, and, and we benefited from that, that, that you can jump and say, hey, I, I know the stats, I know the design, you know, and, and I, again, also, I think that plays the, the, to the part that we talked earlier on, that the statistician, the statistician really knows everything. So we went and could communicate and jump back and forth as a team. And that comes with time. It, it, it really does come with time, but, but also I think it comes with wanting to and being excited about what you're doing. It's, it's really a fantastic time to be a statistician. And uh, if, you, if we just look around us with COVID, everything we see is data. It's data being interpreted that, that really drove society now for the past 18 months. There's, there's statisticians behind that. Yeah, and it's data it's simulations of data it's modeling of data it's you know communication of exponential growth there's so many kind of interesting things and you see it where the statisticians were not capable of <laughs> communicating it and influencing in the right way mm -hmm. tragedies happen yeah. yeah yeah and so 
that's especially, I think, true in our healthcare industry. Yeah, if, if we are not doing our job right, then there is patient health, there's, you know, even, even lives at stake uh, in the overall picture. Yeah. And also, so you may think like, well, I'm just producing numbers. But in the end, it affects real people. It really does. And that's why I sometimes try to communicate. It's like, for instance, if you look at a Kaplan Meyer, um, every event is a death. It's somebody that lost a loved one. There's, there's real people behind this data. There are people that's desperate for a solution, for a treatment option. And we may not meet those patients. I've had a privilege to a few times with clients meet the patients. But many times it becomes just a data point. And um, I think we need to remind ourselves that it's not. That those are, are people who, in their desperation sometimes, volunteered for a study. It's people who committed to make the world a better place, volunteered for those studies and enrolled in those studies. And uh, what an amazing privilege do we have then to analyze that data. To, to find something maybe that can help somebody. And um, that's our responsibility. It's, it's also a, a wonderful thing to, to be involved with. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. When you look back over your career, what would be your key lessons from, from your careers mm -hmm. that you would like to see the listener to get back? Oh, we touched on, to on some of them. Um, and I think always be willing to learn. Never think you know it. And, and always stay curious that, um, and be excited about what you're doing. Th that would be the key message that, that I would like to, to, to get across. But it's also, you know, looking back in the career, I, I would say that it was those, those moments where I was maybe arrogant about the data that I would make a mistake but to, to be humble, to have a heart of, of serving others and to make the world a better place and to remember that this is, this is something, um, real life, this is a wonderful opportunity to make the world a better place would, would be kind of in, in summary. Awesome. Very, very good. That I can very, very much relate to that. And I had some earlier interviews with people um, one of which was Walt Offen. Uh, and he, I think, talked also about exactly these, these two points. Um, he had a, a couple of others, but, but um, the staying humble and kind of looking out, being curious is, is really, really, really important. Thanks so much for, for this awesome interview. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, as we talked so much about communications, how important that is in our job, how data visualization plays in, but then also how you can become better and better that even if you're put in front of the FDA on short notice, you can perform and, and tell a story. Um, that's, I think, what we should aspire to, to get to so that, as we talked about, really can impact our patients and make sure that the right decisions are taken based on data. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alexander. It was a privilege. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. 
If you like this, if you love this discussion, then please let others know as well. It would be great if as many people can benefit from these insights as possible. So share it with your friends, share it with your peers, share it with your colleagues. And if you have something great to say about it, you know, tell it on social media. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.